All right. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Duct Tapes. We Fuck. have a very interesting guest today. Yeah. Would you like to say his name? Because I've been told that I do it incorrectly <laughs> every time. I believe it's Emily Aro. Aro. No, Aro. I don't know. <laughs> roll I, I think the I said, R. Yeah, I can't roll my R, so I shouldn't have <laughs> attempted. He is a developer at Vincent in Finland. Yeah. And um, Is it the Helsinki office? Maybe. I don't even think we asked about that. Well, you know what? They I've actually got his LinkedIn right here, and it doesn't say he's in Finland. So that's all we need to know, everybody. <laughs> all right? Well, this guy was super interesting to talk to. He was very, I don't want to say like, man, I'm not sure what's the best adjective, but like chill and relaxed. And like when I think of a programmer who does programming artistically, I think of someone like him. Like he was very, very much passionate and like loves what he does. And you can just see that in everything he said to us. Yeah, very active in the open source community and in the community yes. overall, putting together conventions, um, not just, or conferences, but not yeah. just... <laughs> coding ones but science fiction conferences Worldcon brought it yeah. to Helsinki for the first time maybe the only time and apparently it was their second biggest yeah. convention ever yeah so interesting interview um, check it out here we go <laughs> stick around afterwards for all of our cool plugs <laughs> <laughs> but to kind of jump into things I was reading over um, a blog that you posted and I really like this quote that you had where you said uh, by working on problems that I get to pick entirely myself I found that code can on occasion feel like an artistic medium especially when it's sufficiently disconnected from commercial concerns um, I liked that quite a bit and I thought we could start off by talking about uh, what it's like working on a project where it's your own idea and developing that versus someone else bringing you an interesting problem on their project for you to solve. Sure. Yeah. Um, that, that is, um, okay. Going back a couple of steps from sure. there, from, from, from talking with friends of mine who are authors or who, who draw and do these things, um, for work or, or otherwise, what I've realized is that for me, code fills many of the same sorts of needs that people have for expressing themselves mm -hmm. it is um it, it is of course sometimes uh, <laughs> less of a creative process when you're working every day on something and it's just bogging through things but sure. it, it can be so much more and in particular when you get to control yourself what it is that you're doing get to pick your own things to develop, things to work on, it can be quite rewarding in, in that way um, because you get to choose the way you go. Mm -hmm. You get to choose to do things right rather than doing them fast. I, I pulled that, that quote as well. <laughs> yeah, I was interested to, how would you differentiate between the two? Or, or what, what, do um, you, what do you mean by that? Okay, so what I've... A lot of the work that I do for clients is, of course, uh, directly uh, I'm building some sort of application, some sort of product, something that is quite close to where it is going to be used. So, so the code that I write is really only applies to that one thing that they do. But then a lot of the 
open source development that I do. And some of the stuff that I get to do for clients is more library development. So you're doing, you're building a tool, something that then one or other people, many people use to, to build something else. And there it matters more that what you do, you do right, rather than you just make it work. Mm-hmm. And I at least find it more rewarding to do more things that are more right rather than they just, you know, work. Yeah. Yeah. Are there other mediums that you're artistic in or do you like music or any visual mediums or is it strictly code? Uh, actively, honestly, it, it's code. Mm-hmm. Uh, some amounts of woodworking. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so, awesome. Uh, My brother was. I... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so. I've not really had space, time to 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 do anything. But the um, I'm sitting in a looking at our living room shelves at the moment, and those I've kind of hacked together from IKEA stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they're wardrobe shelves that don't have the backs, and they turn ninety degrees, and they've got this extension. It's a whole thing. And the kids' beds, I. Uh, those mainly actually used also IKEA as a source of uh, raw wood parts that are most <laughs> you know, fitting into with each other. Then um, this huge desk that my daughter has, uh, that one I just built uh, by myself. Awesome. So no canoes yet. Is that, is that the goal? <laughs> no, no. And I've not really done much anything because I don't have an external workshop or anything. So, so it ends up with me taking over like a third of the living room uh-huh. and then oh, sawdust in places. And I, I, I have a wife and I have kids and you know, they have opinions about things like this. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure when there's random screws and nails all over the living room carpet. Oh, that's so cool. Um, my, I've never done any woodworking, but it's always been like kind of a part of my life because my brother was a boy scout growing up. And so he would do not bigger projects like the ones you were describing, but like bird houses or like things like that. And so it was always around. And then, um, when I got to school, my roommate, uh, did a lot of woodworking too. So how do you, just out of curiosity, do you like ever take like a class on that or like learn more formally or is that just more like personal projects that you enjoy working on uh it's i mean in early life in school in finland uh woodworking is a part of the normal curriculum Hmm. so from there you kind of get this baseline of 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 uh getting up getting to do something with wood and uh then we have a vacation home and uh, my uh, my grandfather was quite encouraging about getting woodworking things just to do to play mm-hmm. around with. And uh, honestly, most recently, it's been lots and lots of YouTube videos. <laughs> that's awesome to hear. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's the best source for yeah go to resource. Like. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also noticed that you had some time working as a CTO for a startup. It was that, yeah, we. Yeah, I, I was I was just curious about that whole experience and, and what pain points there were and what positives you took away from it and if it was something you would consider doing again or do you like to be relegated to just developer? So so in the bigger scheme of things, before I was the CTO of a small startup, I was working on my dissertation, and uh, after I was the CTO of a small startup. I've been at Vincent uh, working as a consultant. Mm-hmm. So from the sort of big picture point of view, uh, each of those steps, uh, the, the work that I do has, has become more distant from 
basically who I am when you're working on a dissertation. It's really you, you're pouring mm. your soul into it. And when you're working in a small startup, especially in a, in a CTO-ish type of role, it's it's quite close to that, to be honest. Uh-huh. And right now I'm quite, quite happy to be mostly solving other people's problems mm. rather than my own. Mm-hmm. So that when when I go home from work, uh, most of the time I can just, you know, leave work there. Yeah. Um, of course, if, if, if it's something interesting, I can't get it out of my head, then then yeah, but it's not, it, it helps a lot in, 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 in keeping myself happy. Like a work-life balance is a little easier to... Definitely. Definitely. That's awesome. Well, something I was curious about as well is um, we saw that you spent a lot of time in London, it, like five years, I think. Like, how was that experience? Because I love traveling and I've, I think, spent like one day of my life in London. But I mean, what made you decide to move to England or how was that? Um, so most of my childhood, I've uh, we, we moved around uh, Europe. Nice. So no longer can I say that I've lived for more than half my life outside of Finland, but there was a certain period where that was true. So, so I moved to London for university from uh, the Ecole Internationale de Genève. We were living in Geneva, uh, and before that in Brussels, and before that in Budapest. So wow. Wow. moving to London was not really <laughs> that big of a difference yeah. in that. Um, and, and effectively, at, at the point when I was, uh, when I did my... Uh, graduated from high school in Geneva and I needed to get myself to university somewhere. Uh, the UK and then Imperial College in London ended up being the, the, the best choice. That's awesome. So, so as you were moving around and just like growing up, what, when did you first start getting interested in tech or into programming? Um, 1993 <laughs> or four. Wow, specific. What month? Yes. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the month exactly, but effectively, we were living in in Budapest in from ninety two to ninety five. Uh, I was eleven when we moved there. I think uh, might be ten. And in any case, uh, I I quite soon after we moved there, I ended up having always a computer, and that computer having a network connection. Uh, our family was. The, the, the first customers of the first uh, first uh, non uh, first smaller ISP uh, mm. in, in all of Hungary and there were other things so I've I've always had effectively access to the to the internet and uh, it kind of grew naturally from there. Okay. So that's awesome. It's always curious to me just to hear how people like get started or or begin pursuing it. Right. So I guess from there, how did you get actively involved in the open source community? It seems like that's a big part of your development life. Yeah, that, that is. Um, I mean, nowadays, especially, uh, it's it's. I've written, ended up revamping the whole thing and found a PM wiki, a, a PHP based wiki uh, system. And, and started to use that and to f- develop that for use for the website. And that actually turned out to be, it was a very good platform for me to start learning how to develop uh, as a sort of library developer type of thing. Mm-hmm. 
where it was very modular and I could write these modules and publish them and uh, it made absolutely no sense in that context to try and even think of any commercial aspects mm -hmm. of, of the publishing there. And effectively, uh, it, was, it was easy also for me to um, package the things I was doing into modules and then to publish them because then uh, I, did, I, I forced myself to actually write the, the, the documentation for, for the, the <laughs> API that I developed and I could mm -hmm. then later just black box that thing and then just use it mm -hmm. wherever I'm using it. Nice. And, and from there, it just sort of seemed like this logical progression. I mean, at, at the moment, the, the biggest scope of, of things that I, I do that is a bit peculiar, maybe, is uh, the, the work that I've done in and for localization in JavaScript. Mm -hmm. That started from around maybe 2011-ish, mm -hmm. when I was working on um, a... Um, Basically, I had a project where I where I did a front end for a thing, and the front end I did first in English, and then um, I, after having done that maybe for a year or so, um, for another event I needed to do the same front end for uh, in in Finnish. And then I realized, hang on, <laughs> I should figure out a way to localize this. And then right. I, I had in my head an idea of how I think it should work. Then I found another uh, a project uh, message format, in fact, that mm -hmm. was conceptually doing the thing that I wanted it wanted to do, but it wasn't really doing it as efficiently as I wanted it to do. Mm -hmm. So I started using it, and then also started sending a couple of fixes uh, into the repository, um, and then ended up eventually kind of rewriting most of it, and now I'm. <laughs> do most of the maintenance on, on that project at the moment. That's um, awesome. But from there, uh, there was make plural and the library that I, that made sense to, to, to go into and a couple of others and then sort of go deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. And mm -hmm. What's the response did, typically like when you, when you open a PR for a library that you haven't contributed to before? Do you it find varies. that people are usually very open to it, or it, it varies a lot because mm. um, open source is mostly people are not very very few projects have um, do it in a sense that it's work for someone. I mean mm. some some are, and then you have support services and others. Most of the projects out there, in particular, most of the projects that anyone ends up contributing to, um, they're just one guy mm -hmm. or or one person somewhere uh, behind that code that they've written, maybe maybe two or three. And um, then they might, you know, answer within 15 minutes. They might answer <laughs> within 15 days. Hmm. They, they might do anything in between, and they might, you know, ignore you completely. So hmm. it's best not to have any expectations going in and just hope for the best. Kind of, yeah, but you also can kind of get a feeling if if you find a re find a project that you want to use and there's something wrong with it that you want to fix and there's been no commits to it for half a year mm -hmm. then the likelihood of anything happening at the snap of a finger is quite unlikely mm -hmm. but if if there's been stuff happening for the last couple of weeks and the thing you're fixing if you can communicate well that the thing you're fixing this is really a bug 
and this could be the fix for it, uh, would this be fine? Then something like that can um, can really you kind of learn how to to word yourself in in order to get the best sort of yeah gotcha. that you can. That's awesome. I have not done a lot of participation in open source projects, but I'd really like to like get more active in the community. So, learn just hearing about it or learning things like this is very interesting to me. And message format was something we actually wanted to talk about specifically. So, are you how many like how much time do you put into a project like that or like weekly hours? Like, does it just vary? Or? Uh oh. This comes back to what you raised earlier about the um, not, uh, sorry, um, I don't remember if you quoted it exactly about not counting the hours, mm -hmm. uh, about oh. doing things not for work, about be, more, being far more in control yourself. And I don't want to know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a good I, answer. That's a good answer. I get value out of doing this because it, I, I get to help people who use the library, but I also develop myself as a as what I can do uh, and mm. that's the value I get out of it if if I were to start tracking hours or other things then I would start to have to compare those hours to the other things I could spend be spending them on interesting and then uh, it becomes I, I kind of want to actively avoid putting myself in a position where I'm making a value decision between doing this thing or doing that thing mm-hmm rather than just doing what I feel like when I feel like, or at least for these things. That is an interesting, interesting approach. Um, I'd like to talk about what I think is your, I guess your passion project or what you, what you seem to discuss. Which one? Uh, YAML. <laughs> <laughs> I remember okay. we, we've discussed it before um, in person a bit, but I'm curious because I think both of us have, pretty much no experience with yaml what it is not a proper understanding right, what your library does um that okay. was missing beforehand so we, we'd love a rundown okay so json you've heard of json right yes yes script object notation it's it's a really really pretty specification for how to um stringify effectively um objects and data and structures mm -hmm. and it is a really good way um, of communicating between uh, computers mm -hmm. and it's a decent way of communicating between humans and computers because it's, it's human readable mm -hmm. but it is um, quite specific about what it wants it, it, it you need to match match the exact shape of of of, of the uh, of the requirements and that's not really how humans like to do things and especially when you're talking with shall we say sometimes less technical uh, mm -hmm. persons then if you can um have a language like yaml that is a really really good for configuration files where you can write it and as a human and it sort of looks right and you think i mean this is it expresses what you're thinking and the computer can then understand what it is that you mean and hopefully not get things wrong. Mm -hmm. YAML is, is complicated because it, it does a lot of these things where it um, tries to match the expectations that you have as a human, and humans don't really always think in such logical and rule-based uh, ways as computers do. And uh, it, 
I, I like it. And I ended up wanting to use it for this is again one of these you have to um you have to have a project you have to have a reason a problem that you're trying to solve when you really start getting into this mm-hmm. right and i had a problem this is uh um an approach that i was working on for localization in fact it all links together yeah. <laughs> and and uh, what i wanted was a file format where i could programmatically write uh extract things from source code and write them into YAML um, and then uh, have uh, localization keys and messages and then in comments attached to those mention the context in which where this key this the string was being used in the actual code mm-hmm. and then I started working on this and then I got to the point okay now I want to use this YAML library that I found in order to insert this um, comment that I've got and as it turns out, none of the existing YAML libraries did that. We're able to actually programmatically um, write or manage comments um, in, huh. in YAML files. And in fact, the YAML specification says that you should not do any of anything. So when you're parsing a YAML document, just throw away all of the comments. <laughs> and I wanted to do the exact sort of opposite of that. And then I needed to write my own YAML library effectively for that reason. <laughs> And then it was a matter of, okay, I, I'm writing a library. I need to get this functionality and I need for it to be generically uh, decently workable. And okay, it would be nice to test things so that it, it, it matches. And then I found uh, YAML now has a um, decent um, test suite mm-hmm. for, for testing practically everything about it. And uh, for, for, for that, I, I kind of wrote a harness for harnessing all of that into my test suite and then I just started patching everything and and making things work and making all of the tests pass and by the end of it I realized that uh, my library was the only one that was actually passing all of the tests uh, for the specification that's kind of exciting that was kind of fun and you know odd but yeah it's awesome and is it is your library being used in other people's projects? Have you promoted it within the community quite oh, a yeah. bit? Because I saw the yeah, message yeah, yeah. format is is pretty popular. Um, so is YAML getting up there too? It's getting there. I, I um, more than once, like at least two, three, four times, I've bumped into people, and in discussion, they mentioned that they realized that oh, I'm using YAML, and that's uh, I noticed that that's your thing. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, it's. It's really quite nice, yeah. I mean, this is a large part of why I end up writing open source, because because um, other people get benefits out of yeah. what I end up doing. We'll check the numbers on the GitHub after this podcast gets out, because once you get that duct tape bump, seriously, <laughs> you get thousands of stars. Well, um, I'm really looking forward to checking it out myself, mm-hmm. a little more in depth. And we, I, I was looking at your at your Twitter profile. And you mentioned something about uh, disrupting science fiction <laughs> fandom. I was wondering, are you a big science fiction fan, or what? What did you mean by that exactly? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, like movies, books. No, uh, fandom, hmm. uh, science fiction fandom in particular. Um, I'm mostly. In, I'm not. I don't. I'm a consumer of of, of science ah. fiction in many forms, but I'm also uh, have been quite active in in organizing events and uh, conventions. Oh yeah, 
probably the biggest thing that I done, I've done is uh, is that I kind of brought the World Science Fiction Convention to Helsinki a couple of years ago. Wow. How'd I, you go about doing that? <laughs> it, it was a couple of years of process. <laughs> so I, I, I've been around in Worldcon fandom for a while. Not that long, really. But, but then um, I was in the, at the um, 2012 Chicago Worldcon. And uh, I kind of just went there as, you know, a participant didn't really have an agenda or anything and then i realized that hang on uh there's this really good opportunity coming up here for the 2015 uh worldcon <laughs> the worldcons get voted on by the members of worldcon two years in advance mm-hmm. and then there's okay. so all the campaigning you need to do in order to get people to vote for you there's lots That's of good. rules cool. there. and um and so uh i realized that hang on the Candidates for 2015 are not doing either of them. There were two at the time, really all that great. And there was this chance of, you know, me suggesting that we could do it in Helsinki. This is an event <laughs> that for the most part happens or has happened previously in the US. Right. So me then starting a, at that point a one-year blitz campaign in order to get into Helsinki uh, – was unexpected but it, there was an opportunity there and i took it and we came like this close to pulling it off for, for 2015. um in total there was something like i think 2600 votes something mm-hmm. like that we lost wow. by 35. Oh, in the man. <gasps> crushing it was a little bit crushing yeah um we did end up then deciding that nope we're gonna try again so then we tried again yes. for 2017 and uh for that one we beat all of the four other candidates in the very first round of counting yes. by bigger margin than anyone expected um so, was there so a large turnout at, in the house was there a large turnout at the helsinki conference Compared um, to in North America? By the official numbers, we were the second largest Worldcon ever. Wow. Yes. And that's, I would, the, the, the biggest one was LACon 3 in the early 80s. And they had a uh, one of the Star Wars films as a special showing. And oh, man. So that one doesn't even count. <laughs> I, I'm, ha- I'm happy to go. With officially, we were the second largest ever. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. That's like mission succeeded. Oh yeah. It, it's it's one of those things um I mean this is for me uh for the social circles I'm in having had this thing being able to pull it off and having had the convention itself actually be in, in many ways a, a roaring success is um has made a lot of things easier for me afterwards because hmm. um fundamentally it's quite entirely possible that of of all of the achievements i'll have done in my life the the biggest one in in many senses is already done (laughs) i don't really have any need to to do anything that'll you know prove my worth to anyone i've kind of possibly already done that Mm -hmm. so it's easier to to just do stuff now that i feel like doing 
for because those things are good rather than because I want to have my name attached with with anything. Of course, awesome. I'm not going to say that I don't like you know getting recognized for things, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to say that I don't like uh, being getting things done uh, that that other people find nice. I'm just saying I, it it's helped me internally just realize this is nice. Yeah. That's such a great feeling. That's awesome. What were the big, um, I guess, standouts at that convention? Was there like a Vulcan there? <laughs> do you yeah. go dressed up? Do you, do you throw on your uh, pointy ears? There's some cosplay. That's the term for it uh, ah. that was happening. Uh, not as much as at anime and uh, manga related events, but some. Mm-hmm. Uh, Worldcon is, uh, this was the 75th Worldcon. It, Worldcon is one wow. of the oldest. Uh, conventions and it moves around mm. um, a lot of the history of where cosplay is coming from is has some of its origins with with Worldcon um, I, I can't really point to any one thing that was you mm. know spectacularly thing there were so many things happening uh, I think in total we had like 8,000 people show up and it was it, That's great man so many more things turned out well than could be expected. And from the sort of organizing point of view of that as well, uh, that was entirely like open sources. It's, it's a volunteer organized and run thing. Mm-hmm. That means that. No, go please on. go. I, I was just going to say, I think it's so cool. So many people did turn up, especially since the conference is like usually held in north america like having so many people come across the world to visit helsinki like finland that's that's really awesome i love that kind of mentality or that kind of community of people who want to do that or who want to like go that far we'll stick with it just to attend their conference there's a lot of history there why in finland in particular it's so big science fiction fandom here is relatively the sort of organized science fiction fandom here is uh bigger than it is in most places because of some of the decisions, wow. some of the ways we work things mm-hmm. which are possible here, which have not necessarily been possible elsewhere. Um, but yeah. So was that before or after you put together um, Helsinki JS? I didn't put together Helsinki JS just to be clear. I'm okay. Um, uh, oh. That was Oleg. Um, and then Jonas came on board on that one. And, mm-hmm. uh, I'm the third guy, effectively. Oh, okay, uh, third guy down the totem pole. Well, when you started <laughs> helping, I should say. I, I st- no, um, I started helping with Hazik JS actively, maybe like uh, a year ago. Mm-hmm. And this nice. was because uh, Jonas, one of the other organizers, he's still very much active, but he just moved to Amsterdam. Hmm. Uh, so a little bit harder. Be be. Uh, physically present as much uh, and, and hosting the events. And then uh, I told him and Oleg uh, earlier that I would be willing and interested in, in helping if if they so needed. And then I've been, well, at that now for a, about a year, yeah. Awesome. Um, well, we always like to ask our guests what their favorite band is and what music they listen to while they're coding. So far, it seems to throw people off guard. Most people just say, I don't know. <laughs> but do you have, what's your favorite band? You have to have one. Um, this is a tough one. 
Mm. <laughs> I think that's how you, most people feel. Favorite, favorite band today at this moment? Doesn't have to be, you don't have to stick to the answer. Uh, let's go with Delirium. D-L-E. Uh, Delirium. Okay. Um, not remixes, no. but the original things. Not one that I've heard of. What, what type of music Original's is this? Right. Uh, yeah, this is the tricky bit where I, I took, it took me a really long time to find music that I really liked. Uh, the hmm. best uh, descriptive term for it that I've found is ethno-electronica. So it's it's basically um, different sort of, sorts of origins of, of styles of music, uh, but that are old in some ways then i've been slightly modernized but not like completely modernized mm-hmm. that um, is interesting it, yeah it's in in between about three or four different things and it's not really specifically any one of those things it's really hard to google for uh-huh so i'm quite happy with with modern libraries that can suggest you other 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 artists you might like yeah, yeah. Yes. Spotify's algorithm for finding artists that I like is uncanny because usually that that Discovery Weekly playlist that I get every Monday is at least half halfway there with artists that I end up loving. That's awesome. Is there anything in particular you would like to plug? Obviously, YAML. Everybody, all the duct tape heads. Yes. <laughs> use YAML, the YAML library. We have message format as well. Mm-hmm. Message format is nice. Worldcon. Yeah. Worldcon is nice. The next Worldcon is in Dublin in like two weeks from now. So I'm going there. Nice. Are you? The whole family of us will there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, Twitter, uh, face, or, you know, what do you want to plug? I'm happy with just all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> we will have links in the show notes so you guys can get in touch That's and reach out if you need to learn more about YAML. We really appreciate you coming on. This has been a, a fun talk. Kind of all over the place, as expected. Yeah. Learned a I've lot, though. I'm at 2% power, so I'm looking. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Emily. No, nah, it was fun. Bye. All right. That was a great interview. Really what an interesting nice. guy. Learned um, so much. Like, And we do research on our guests, and he brought up things we didn't even find about him. I had no idea that he uh, took Ikea wood <laughs> and <know>. reappropriated <laughs> it into... He takes a dresser and makes it a shelf. Man. And, yeah, interesting stuff. Not uh, stuff that I should be doing. The so science fiction nice stuff to know other people was can. interesting as well. Yeah. But, honestly, I think that the biggest thing for me was was the music. Definitely I gotta, gotta music. I got to give that because <laughs> just the description alone, I'm like, well, I, I can't even think in my head what this might be, but I'm going to check it out. Um, so, make sure and follow Emily oh, yeah. on Twitter. Absolutely. Um, check out his... Um, the message format he talked about. Message that format project. and YAML. Yeah, go to his GitHub and check those out. We'll have links in the show notes. Absolutely. Um, for and us, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And our big FM. announcement. Yeah, Duct Tapes FM. And our big announcement, guys, we still have another giveaway going on. Mm-hmm. So make sure you visit ducttapes.fm, the website, and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. It's just one email a week. We do not spam you, I promise. Yeah. And then you will be automatically entered for all of our upcoming weekly giveaways right now we still have one course by uh, scott talinsky it's his newest one on gatsby stripe and shopify so make sure you subscribe if you want a chance to win that yeah cool stuff and follow me on twitter john hoppenthal i tweet all the time yes and if you want to hang out with me i live stream off of twitch.tv channel name team talama yeah 
Pretty cool. See you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. Powered by Vincent. Quack, quack.